Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Mark My Word is a message series designed to bring a Christ-centered focus into your life through the power of one word. Our speaker today is teaching minister Tim Peace. So it is 2019. It is a new year. This is the first Sunday of the new year. I often tell people, especially my friends, I always tell them it's a joke, but I don't really think it is. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day is like my favorite holiday. And I'll tell you why. Number one, you get built-in days off from work. Number two, you don't have any of the stressors from any of the other big holidays tacked on to the days off from work. You can literally sit around and do absolutely nothing for an entire day or two and just be calm, and I like that. You know, uh, this year, I will confess, I didn't make it up till, uh, till midnight, till noon. That'd be interesting. I don't know why I'd want to stay awake that long. But anyway, uh, no, we didn't make it to the ball drop, which I heard was interesting because I heard there was a possibility something could go awry because of the weather in New York or whatever. But we did sit around for hours watching uh, some of, like, the uh, year-in-review television stuff which is always really funny. It's always fluff, you know. They recap all the YouTube videos that went viral and all of the internet memes that we'll all forget about having ever existed, but they're fun to recap. Plus, it's always fun when you're like, hey, I saw that one, or I know that thing, or whatever it is. So, especially uh, Mr. Bubs the dog, if you've seen that on the internet anywhere. Go ahead and look that up. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I love... I love New Year's. And the other reason I love it is because I'm just, I'm kind of an introspective, reflective kind of person. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not really one for making New Year's resolutions. You know, I don't get out and write them down and give up on them in the middle of February, which is statistically when everyone does. But um, I, I do like the reflection. I like looking back on the year that was and looking forward to the year that is to come. And one of the reasons, or one, you know, one of the cool things that happened um, a couple weeks ago, Dee and I, we brought up, we had gone to um, Israel and Palestine uh, at the beginning of the year uh, in 2018, and we were reflecting on that um, in, a, in a message recently. But this week, uh, Shannon Bacon texted Angie and I, uh, my wife, and, and said, can you believe that at this time last year, we were uh, in, in New York City trying to board a flight and getting harassed by El Al Israel uh, flight security, which is a true story. That was a fun experience. They checked our bags three times. So apparently something about me is off-putting. <laughs> Dee Dee's been making, has made fun of me since because Dee Dee's really smooth. I got to give him credit, like, you know, he didn't give too much in way of answering things. I'm a details guy, so when someone asks me questions, I feel like I've got to give them the whole story sometimes, which is bad because, you know, you've got, you know, Israeli security that I decided it was a good time to tell them I'm a minister for a living. And so, uh, so they immediately went back and started whispering to each other, and then, you know, that turned into a whole big fiasco, but we made it there. Anyway, so I bring that up because a lot of us tend to look in terms of the whole of a previous year and 
For some, there were a lot of high points, and so you think, man, 2018 was fantastic. And then there's others that they're like, I'm glad that's in the rearview mirror. I, I've already had a couple of people tell me, yeah, 2018, not a great year. Glad that's behind them. 2019's already off to a good start. The reality is, I think if we slowed down and looked into the details of the year that was, we'd recognize there were probably some highs and some lows and everything in between there. But the other fun part about that reflection is to look forward and say, you know, I've got a new, a new start. The calendar's turned over, and I can, I can imagine, I can dream what, what, what the year can become. And so I just like the calm and the reflection that can come with that sort of, sort of time. And we're going to be opening up a new series today that's called Mark My Word. And there's something that the staff has done the last two years for reflection. And it's, we worked through this book called One Word That Will Change Your Life. And trust me, it'll change your life. Just kidding. Sorry, I love those big, bold statements. Um, Here's the thing about this book. You look at it on the cover, and you never should judge a book by its cover, by the way. But you look at it and you think, one word, how's one word going to change my life? Well, the cool thing about this book is, is it's written by uh, some Christian authors that basically uh, teach you how to do some prayer and reflection about what God's calling you to do, and they have you kind of determine through prayer what your one word is going to be. And the, the idea of the word isn't that like it's some sort of fortune or something like that that, you know, that predicts your upcoming year, but it's kind of a signpost, a marker, so to speak, that you can look back to and, and kind of stay tethered to where God is calling you to go. So you've done the process of prayer and figuring those things out, and you're wanting to go step by step in that. And this one word, having it written down somewhere, having it visible to you, allows you to step in and to uh, you know, commit to what that one word is. And so we've been doing it in the last two years as a staff, and I know Didi's mentioned it uh, in a sermon before, but we're going to probably come back to this book a few times throughout this, this message series because we're going to take an opportunity as a church to, to think through that. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and his letter to the Philippians. And I'm going to tell you what I think Paul's word is this morning, what his one word would be. Uh, because his one word uh, is, is really an, an inspiration uh, to us or should be uh, and, and our life and faith uh, in Jesus. And so uh, I want to turn your attention to Philippians chapter 3, but before we jump into the actual text for today, I want to tell you what Paul's doing in this letter. Paul founded the church in Philippi, which is a uh, part of Macedonia, which was a Roman colony. We learn about Paul finding this church in Acts chapter 16. And it's an interesting story in Acts 16. Uh, Paul, Paul ends up in Philippi, and he at first meets a lady by the name of Lydia. And we find out that uh, through Lydia, uh, Lydia and her whole household are converted to the faith. Her whole household's baptized. And, uh, and so these people come to faith. They become a support system uh, and a leadership base uh, for Paul and the church that he's founded there. A couple verses later... Paul's walking around, and we find out that there's this uh, young lady 
that has a spirit that allows her to predict the future, following Paul and his companions around. And it tells us in the story that there are some folks, she's actually a slave, who are making money off of her fortune telling. And she starts to go around in this this spirit that she's possessed by, starts shouting out through her that Paul and his companions are messengers of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, what's cool is in the Gospels, anytime that someone tries, a a demon-possessed person tries to reveal who Jesus is, he always tells them to be quiet, and then he kicks the demon out of the person. He He doesn't, for some reason, want this getting out. Paul, on the other hand, does want Jesus as Messiah getting out, but we still find out, the text tells us that he's annoyed by this uh, spirit-possessed person that's going around. And so Paul, out of annoyance, decides to rid this girl of this spirit, which doesn't go over so well because the owners of this slave person now have lost their source of income. And so they drag Timothy and his companions out and put them in prison. And then we end up finding, there's, there's all more, read Acts chapter 16. It's just, it's just a cool story I could sit here telling it to you all day, but here's the point. Paul has found this church in Philippi, and it's that church that he's writing Philippians to. And because the church at Philippi is under a Roman colony, Paul's dealing in this letter with a two-front or two-fold problem for his church. Number one, at the time of writing, Christianity was not a legally sanctioned religion under the Roman Empire. And the Romans had a big issue with the Christians early on because Romans didn't really care if you worshipped God as long as you worshipped all of their other gods. It was what was called the Roman imperial cult. And in Christianity, and in Judaism for that matter, the idea is we worship one God and one God alone. But for whatever reason, even though there was wrangling and unrest between the Jewish people and the Romans, Judaism was still a legally sanctioned religion. And so what you would have in the early church, since the early church was rooted out of Judaism, is you would have uh, some Christians that said in order to be a good, faithful Christian, you have to stick to the Jewish laws and customs of the day. Paul teaches something different in his letters. In fact, it's this group of of Christians, these Messianic Christians, that Paul is constantly at odds with. Some of them are actually big leaders in the church. But he's at odds with them. And this would also create a problem because if Christians were part of the Jewish religion still, then they'd kind of be harbored in under the sanctioned religion of Rome. But if they are a separate sect a separate religion, guess what? They're not. And so what we find is that Paul is writing Philippians in prison. He is in chains, as he says. And yet this church at Philippi has been supporting him. He opens up the letter by saying how thankful he is for this church. They've sent help to him to support him and to comfort him. They've given him financial resources. And so he's trying to spur them on to continue on in their faith. 
and to continue on in their support of the mission, including himself as a missionary. And he gets to this point in chapter 3 where he's having to argue with the Christians in Philippi to get them to not be swayed by these people that are telling them they have to be bound to the Jewish customs and laws and regulations. And it's here where Paul does what we all tend to do at this time of year. He starts reflecting on where he's come from, where he is today, and where he's headed. And he starts off in, in Philippians 3, and this part isn't in your, in your passage here, but he's arguing against these individuals uh, that are trying to pull the church into this, uh, this law-bound sort of way. And they're trying to say, hey, we're the leaders you should be following, not this Paul guy. And this is what Paul says. He says, uh, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's basically saying, you want someone worthy of following that does things the right way? Check out my resume. This is who I have been. He says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. You want a good Jewish person? I'm the best he got. That's what Paul's saying here. In regard to the law of Pharisee, he's the most educated, the most knowledgeable. As for zeal, persecuting the church. When Paul thought the early Christian movement was misguided, he went out to snuff it out. He was a zealous individual. And he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Faultless. I mean, if you, think about, if you think about this, Paul is doing something that we're not really accustomed to doing. We don't really like when people brag. And Paul is basically saying, I'm the best there is at being a good Jewish person. So don't follow these other guys because they've got nothing on me. Anything they can do, I can do better is what Paul is teaching here. And yet, in our passage today, Paul shifts gears. He shifts gears. And I want you to follow along with me in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 16, to hear what he says. So he just told them how great he was. And then he starts with this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, 
but one thing I do, forgetting what, what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul shifts gears here. He's acknowledged who he is, what he's accomplished, what his merit is. And he turns around and he tells the Philippians, all of that means absolutely nothing in comparison to Jesus. Now, this is a passage that I think creates trouble for a lot of us. Because we hear this passage, and I've heard this many times talking Bible with people, where they basically run the point of, okay, if Paul says everything is garbage in comparison to Jesus, then everything in my life is meaningless, except for Jesus. But that, that would be a mistake to read this passage this way. See, Paul's doing something else with the grace message, the gospel message, the salvation he's received in Jesus. Notice when Paul tells you in chapter 3 all of his accomplishments, he doesn't use past tense completed forms. He doesn't say, I was a Pharisee. Paul is still a Pharisee. He doesn't say, I once had zeal, but I no longer have zeal. Paul is still a zealous individual. It doesn't show more zeal than to go put your life on the line to share the gospel. Paul didn't suddenly become uneducated. Paul can still argue Jesus through the scriptures over and over and over again. You can read his letters and he does it constantly. Now the one thing he would probably change, although I'm not sure because Paul likes him some Paul. A lot. I don't know that he would call himself faultless anymore, but he definitely tells people he's worthy of being followed. In fact, he will do that a few verses later. Paul hasn't become a completely different person. What did happen when Paul was converted is that what made Paul Paul and what Paul was aspiring to be was uprooted, redirected, redeemed. And changed. See, Paul in Philippians notes that Jesus gave up his throne on high to come down in the form of a human being and laid his life down at the cross for the sake of the world, including Paul. And if you know anything about Paul's story in the book of Acts, for those that don't know, Paul used to be called Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. He led the charge that ended in the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7 and 8. And he was given permission by other religious leaders to carry out persecution of the church in Damascus. And he was going to round up the Christians and jail them, or worse, when Jesus met him on the road, blinding him and making him into a Christian. 
Paul suddenly realized he was off base. His zeal to persecute the church was misguided. He realized that Jesus was the Messiah that fulfilled the scriptures. And Paul, in his educated, zealous, brave, fighting kind of way, ends up becoming the greatest missionary of the first century of the church. And it's inarguable that he was the greatest. Most of our New Testament is written by Paul, or might have Paul behind it. And he ended up going throughout the Roman Empire, converting non-Jewish people to this faith. And so what we find out is that Paul has a word. In fact, he uses the word once in chapter 2. But it's not one we think about a lot. See, Paul's one word in this text is valued. Paul's valued by God. This isn't a big, cool, theological word. And I think it's a word we struggle with. We don't think of ourselves as valued very often. I know this because most of us have a very, very transactional view of God. I'm guilty of this more than most. If something's going wrong in life, I automatically assume that there's something in my life that I've done to displease God and I need to correct it. Or maybe I get into the prayerful bargaining. Anybody else done that with God before? God, if you'll just make this happen, I'll do this. As if you need me to do this. But we like to pretend that we do and we like to think that he'll answer us in that way. And the reason is, is because at our core, we think we have to make ourselves valuable to God. In fact, Paul thought he had to make himself valuable to God. That's why he's able to give you who he is in a nutshell in the early part of chapter 3. Because Paul's whole life was making himself a valuable Pharisee, learned person, that would go uphold and defend God's righteousness to the world, even if it meant persecuting others. Little did Paul know God doesn't need our defense. And we're not the ones that get to assign our own value to ourselves, even though we have a tendency to do that. We struggle with the idea that our value would come from anywhere other than inside. And in our modern culture, we're, we're even worse about this. Because we think on an individual level, and people say, you just go be whatever you want to be. Go follow your own passion, or any of the other things that books are written about. This is what happens with us. And yet Paul, Paul ends up finding that he's valued, and the church, the Christians that he's writing to, are valued by God. And so what I want us to remember today, and I'm going to flesh out here what this means for us, is this, that what I value, what I value is where I find my value. What I value is where I find my value. And nowhere does this become more obvious than New Year's resolutions. I'll give you a couple of examples. Has anyone ever made the New Year's resolution that they're going to get in shape this year? 
Anybody? Why do we make that New Year's resolution? Well, there's a whole slew of different reasons. One, maybe we value our health, or we think we should, and we realize that we're not exactly at the place we would like to be or should be, and so we decide, I'm going to exercise 24-7, 365, because that's a good goal. Maybe, maybe, you know what, maybe summertime's coming around, we want to have six-pack abs for the beach, and why not start in January, right? I mean, we just got through all the holiday feasting, but why? why are, because somebody else told us that we should value looking like, I don't have a six-pack, I always tell people I got a one-pack. Why, why do you think that that will make you a better person if suddenly you look the part on the beach? Why do we value that? Here's another one that we do. How about this? In, in 2019, I'm going to change my finances. I don't even know what that means yet. I guess that's going to happen one way or the other. But why? Why do we value that? Maybe we have this value... You know, maybe we grew up, um, maybe we grew up in a bad situation, and we don't want to live with the discomfort we grew up in. So we're going to fix our finances, or maybe uh, maybe we've been told that to really mean something or to be important in life, we've got to have a lot of wealth. So we're going to work our way to that. Going to get on the Dave Ramsey plan, and we're going to end up being a millionaire or something. I don't know what it is. Why? Why is that a value? Is that something we value inside? Is that something somebody else told us we should value? Where do we draw our value from? See, the things that we aim to do, the things that we value, end up becoming where we find our value. If I don't hit that health mark or that exercise mark, I'm invaluable. If I don't hit the financial measures, I have no value to people. And you can take this idea and you can run with it within almost any avenue. But you see, at the end of the day, we're taking some other person, some other flawed person's view of what makes us valuable, or worse, we're setting ourselves up with our own internal value system. Which, by the way, we all have internal value systems, and we're just as good or bad at failing those as we are God's. I'm going to work on my school paper today, and then four hours later, I've watched Netflix all Saturday. Oops. But here's the thing. With Paul, when you recognize that you are valued by God through Jesus, it changes the way you approach things. It redirects and redeems who you are. It redirects and redeems what you're aiming to do. And it redeems and redirects what you're going to become. See, Paul says, I'm going to put behind me the things of the past and I'm going to press on forward. Why is he going to do this? Because Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus, on the road to ruin, saved his life, and said, guess what? All the things you think make you valuable, don't, but I value you despite your failures. 
You are important enough to me that I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And that message still rings true for us today. So how does this change us? Let's take that money example, for instance. What if suddenly we recognize that our value is in Jesus and that Jesus values us? Might it make us better money managers? Yeah. But is it going to do so for the reasons that we were aiming to before? And is it going to turn out the exact same way we would have expected it to? Maybe not. Maybe what will happen then is we recognize, you know what, I want to be able to help a friend or family member here and there. Maybe I want to support the ministry of the church more. Maybe I want to uh, be more generous in this avenue or that avenue of life. Because God was generous to me through his son Jesus. And suddenly, because I recognize my value is given to me by God, and it can redeem and redirect the way I view this aspect of my life, then suddenly, suddenly I may be doing the things I was going to do for my old value system, but for totally different reasons and with totally different outcomes. Or let's take the health thing. Here's the thing. I do like to exercise, but it is not because I want to look good on the beach. Okay? I, I have always been kind of a scrawny person, and it's just the way God designed me. I ain't ever going to you know, do that. So here's the thing. I exercise on a regular basis or attempt to because if I don't, I am prone to depression and anxiety. And when I'm prone to bouts of depression and anxiety, guess what happens? I don't want to be around people. I get really anxious around people. And I'm no good to the people that I'm called to serve. So if I just take 30 minutes to move a little bit, suddenly when I'm interacting with a coworker or a person that's spiritually in need, I have my wits about me. I have my emotions in check. And I can be the support that they need when they're at their lowest of lows or when they're having a faith crisis or when they just don't understand why did God let this happen. You see, suddenly, because I recognize that God valued me, I value others enough and I value myself because God values me enough to do something just enough about my health to make sure I'm good for myself and good for other people. Maybe I'm going to get the same outcomes. I still don't look great on the beach, but still, it changes me in a way I didn't expect. And that's what happened to Paul. Paul did not lose his zeal. Paul did not lose his education. Paul did not lose his brashness. Paul did not lose that part of him that said, anything you can do, I can do better. No, he says, follow me as an example, church, as I follow Jesus, the ultimate example. But God took hold of that, changed his value system, and Paul in turn changed the world in a way that impacts you and I in this room. If you are a Christian, it started because of what Jesus did with his early apostles, including Paul, on this road. Imagine, imagine in 2019 what you can do if you recognized how much 
God valued you the way Paul recognizes it. And I'm not talking about you're going to go change the whole world yourself. No, no, no. No. What if you let God redirect your life and redeem your life in a way that causes you to be an impact to your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people you're around on a regular basis? And then if that happens, imagine if that spark is lit in them and they recognize their value and they go do the same thing in their spheres of influence. Suddenly, you, cur- you continue on that seed that's planted from the very beginning of the faith and you continue to spread roots throughout. All because you recognize that God values you. So I want to leave us with a challenge this year. And it's a challenge that we're going to keep talking about in this series. I talked about this one-word book. If you want to get it, it's the red book. It's called One Word. You can find it on Amazon or if you read on your phone, you can do that too. But we're going to continue to talk about what it means to reflect prayerfully on what God wants and, and what it means and what it looks like to find a word. And I've got to confess, I haven't landed on my word yet, so I'm going to work through this with you. But I want to challenge you this year to prayerfully consider what God wants you to do this year and then nail it down into this one word. The reason we use this note card look is because when you write something down and you keep it visible, you tend to come back to it. It tends to be a rooting sort of thing that'll help you stick to your plan. And the reason that this is so important is this. Paul didn't go through the one word book back then. But Paul did recognize that he was valued and that led him to value other people. What ends up happening with Paul's life is he'll end up going and spreading the faith throughout the entire empire. He will be arrested multiple times, shipwrecked, stoned nearly to death, and ultimately martyred in Rome according to tradition. Which is kind of cool in a weird sense because Paul, the person that was the persecutor of the early church, that oversaw the first martyrdom, ends up with a martyr's death at the end of his story. But he does so because God redeemed and redirected his passion for God so that he would go share the gospel with the world around him in a fearless kind of way. And so if we develop this passion and we go prayerfully to God and we listen to what God is calling us to do right where we're at or maybe where he might want to take us we too can not only recognize the value God has for us but we can be world changers just like Paul let's pray God I thank you for being so good and so gracious to us I thank you for uh, I thank you for your son Jesus I thank you that uh, you show us just how much you love us, how much you value us in sending your son. And I thank you that that value that Paul experienced ignited in him a passion to go share the gospel. And I pray that that same kind of passion will ignite in us as believers today so that throughout 2019, where we have a new calendar year with events to come, 
things that we look forward to and things that, that we don't know are to come yet. Whatever it is, God, I just pray that we will stay centered in you and that we uh, will walk in step with your spirit so that we can show others the value that God has of them and so that they can come to know uh, you and your son Jesus in the same way that we do. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.